You are listening to a sermon by Pastor Christopher Sally of New Life Christian Fellowship Church. Y'all know who this is. If you wiggle in church to this, you're going to be okay. Don't worry about it. I know you want to sing it. I know this is what you want to do. Just a little bit in the pew right here. This is what you want to do. I see you, Pat. I see you. I see you, Velma. Yeah, turn that on. Amen. Fade it out. Amen. Real love. Someone to set my heart free. Real love. Now, last week, we heard... From the prophetess Jody Watley. This week we hear from the prophetess Mary J. Blige on the subject. But the person that we really want to hear about that's talking about what real love is, is the prophet, the apostle himself, the apostle Paul. And in Romans chapter 12, he is giving us a, a analysis. He's giving us a roadmap, if you will, for real Love. Amen. Last week we started out and we were talking in Romans chapter 12 and, and we got through the, the first part of this. This is the second part of us talking about real love. So I switched it up. We started in nineties with, with Jody Watley. We moved to the, to, to the 2000s with Mary J. Blige, but we're still talking about real love and it's, it's grounded in 12 verse nine, which says love must be sincere. The Apostle Paul says that love that I'm looking for, the love that I need you to express, doesn't just need to be agape love. It needs to be sincere agape love. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the, the Apostle Peter told us that we should love, now that we have obeyed the truth, we should love one another sincerely with phileo love. Now the Apostle Paul says, yep, the sincere love, uh, the phileo love needs to be sincere for sure. But I even want you to take it just a, a slight different take on it. I want the agape love to be sincere. Everything sincerity without hypocrisy. No acting is really what that word in the Greek means. No acting without acting. I don't need you to front like you that you love one another. I need that love to be what? Sincere. That was the plea that you and I must manifest. He's saying literally it needs to be manifested in your lives. I'm begging you. Love must be Sincere. That's the plea that must be what manifested. And then we talked about there were some priorities that you and I must mind. And those priorities were four four of them. They were right there. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And then to do what? Honor one another above yourselves. And then... Not just was there a priorities that you must mind. Last time we talked about there's a path that you must maintain. There's a path and that path, you have to be zealous on that path. Uh, you have to be fervent, fervent, excuse me, on that path. And that's the path to do what? Serve the Lord. Amen. He says it right there. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. For what purpose? Serving the Lord. 
So again, the more we serve together, the more we're together, the more ministry that we do, the more interaction that we have, it should help us as we are serving the Lord. It should help us build sincerity in our love. So again, the path that we have to do what? The path that you and I must maintain is service. If, if, if you're not feeling the love if i'm not feeling the love the likelihood is greater that we'll start to feel it as we get together and serve the lord together amen you think about any of the ministries but i'll just pick one the hospitality ministry is tight it's tight because they love each other and they love each other because it's tight Amen. It, it goes back and forth. When it's time for the hospitality ministry to, to, to do something, they come together. They know what they're supposed to do. They, they love spending time together. They love, particularly Brother Tony, to tell me that the kitchen is not my area. He says, do I come in your pulpit? I said, no. He said, they don't come in my kitchen. I was like, ooh, okay. Is that how we, is that how we doing it? Be, uh, Minister Tim? Be quiet. That is being recorded on Facebook. You're too close to the microphone. But they love each other and they serve together. And again, you love and you serve. And that that really allows your love to be sincere. But here in verse 12, I love this because the Apostle Paul continues. And he says, be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. He says, I need you to do something. Now he's telling you the pattern you must match. There's a pattern that you must match. And when I think about that and I think about patterns, I immediately think of of sewing patterns. And I remember uh, my mom did do a lot of sewing uh, growing up, but I but but I do I do remember her having that that singer singer sewing machine, and you could I can't I can't remember who it was that made the patterns, but basically you 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 put them on there, and then you were able to cut out the pieces that you needed, and then now you got to stitch it together. But but at least you you would know if you were trying to make a sweater, you got to you know you got to had the front part, you got arms, you got pockets, whatever it is. But they were patterns that they would send you. You follow the pattern. And then you stitch it together. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Here's a pattern that you have to match. If you want your love to be sincere, I need you to do three things. The first is you got to have the right anticipation. I need you to have the right anticipation. That means I need you to be joyful in hope. Your outlook, your anticipation is you should be joyful. And again, in, in 1 Thessalonians, I believe it is, in verse uh, 16, it says rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice evermore. Again, that's what First Thessalonians, we should always be in a place of rejoicing. Why should you be joyful? You should be joyful because you have a great hope. You don't believe me. You don't believe me? Romans 5 tells us about our Romans 5 tells us about our hope. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we uh oh, glory in tribulation. 
So knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy uh, Ghost which is given unto us. So again, you see there's a focus for the hope which is the, the glory of God. Amen. The foundation for the hope is in verse 1. It's really through we have peace through, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you were to tip back to, to Romans chapter 4. And you would see that really the hope is really there when when you talk about what Abram saw. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was what? Strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, God had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was credited to him for righteousness. Again, we have a hope. We have a strong hope. Amen. Our hope and the focus of our hope has everything to do with this. We know we want to see his glory. Amen. And we'll see his glory when he returns. We also want to share his glory. Amen. And we'll share his glory in heaven. And we also want to show his glory in our new bodies. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Again, we want to see his glory. We want to share his glory. And then we want to show his glory in our in our revived and renewed bodies. That's the hope we have. And since that hope is sure and that hope is built on the blood of Jesus Christ and it's built upon God's promises, just like with Abraham, we have to be fully persuaded that what he has promised, he's also able to perform. And that's why we have a sure hope in times like these. You need an anchor in times like these. You need a savior. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. And since our hope is sure, we can be in a constant state of rejoicing. Because as Romans tells us later on, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Amen. We don't know when it's going to, when Christ is going to appear, but we know it's closer than it was yesterday. It was closer than it was last week or last year in the middle of COVID. We know that he is going to appear. So we always are in a place of rejoicing. So he said the pattern you have to have is you have to be joyful Come on, somebody, in hope, joyful in hope. So that's the right anticipation. And then he says, let me give you the right approach. The right approach is to be patient mm, in affliction. Now, I know you weren't interested in that, and quite frankly, neither am I, but it's here And it's real and we have to deal with it. He says, listen, the right approach to your circumstances is to be patient because things are working out for you because the scripture promises and all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. In first Peter one, six through nine, he says it this way in this, you greatly rejoice, though now. 
for a little while. Again, you see you rejoice. But now for a little while, while you had, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, now he gives, even gives you a reason to be patient. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. So the apostle Peter tells us these afflictions and these trials come so that the testing of your, your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, that, so that your faith that is greater may be proved genuine. Genuine. It's got to be tested and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And, and genuine faith is always tested and genuine faith can be trusted. And so he says, I need you to be patient. I need you to be patient. And in Romans 5 where we already and let patience have her, let, let her, let patience have her perfect work. Amen. That's what James says. Excuse me. That's James chapter one, I believe. Let patience have her perfect work in trials and tribulations. Romans five says, and patience works experience, experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed. Amen. There's a, there's a, there's a pattern here. And he says, I need you to have the right anticipation, which is to always be joyful in hope. Your hope is assured. So your rejoicing should be consistent. It's constant. Always be rejoicing. That's got to be the right anticipation. No matter what, I've got to have joy in my heart. Why? Because happy happiness comes from happenings. Joy comes from relationship. The joy comes from the knowledge that you are in relationship with God and God's got you. And so your joy doesn't leave because the relationship is constantly maintained. So right anticipation, right approach. And then he says, I need you to have the right activity. What's the right activity? Be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. It's, it's, it's actually, as you well know, an activity so much so that in first Thessalonians five and 17, the apostle Paul says this, pray without ceasing. It's like, when is it a good time to pray? Is it morning? Yup. Noonday. Yup evening yep when the sun goes down yep pray without ceasing and philippians 4 and 6 that we know says be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto god however you want to throw it out there is prayers is requests what's in your heart he says with the attitude of gratitude with thanksgiving he said but you should always be be careful for nothing but everything nothing's too small to bring to god amen so it says but in everything be praying or pray in ephesians 6 and 18 and it says it, the apostle paul says and praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching there unto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints so again he's like i got my head on a swivel i'm looking and seeing i'm praying and i'm watching i'm praying and i'm watching and as i watch it i adjust in terms of what i pray because i see the the perseverance and supplication of the saints i'm going back and forth in this in this kind of up and down 
I'm praying always with all prayer and supplication and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And so again, you see the prayer is the activity. Amen. So have the right, the pattern is this, have the right anticipation which is be joyful in hope, have the right approach, be patient in affliction, have the right activity, be faithful in prayer. That's the pattern. And for those that so, you know, if you follow the pattern, you got a pretty good chance of making the item that you want to make. If you, maybe you're good enough to do it, you can just freestyle it after a while, but it's pretty good that you buy a pattern. You say, this is what I'm supposed to do. I cut out these pieces. If I stitch it together, it should look. It should look. Now, if I was doing it, it would not look. But it should look, if you have some requisite skills, it should look like what you're trying to make. Amen? I'm sure that there's some folks here, including uh, Minister Kamaka, that might be able to share some experiences around patterns that, that got cut out that maybe they, it didn't all come together the way you thought. But if you follow the pattern, you're supposed to be able to see the result. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Here is a pattern that you need to match. And then he pivots to verse 13. And he says, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Now, he's revealed what? A practice you must make. What's the practice? It's right there. Hospitality is the practice. We need to be in the business of practicing what? Hospitality. Sharing with God's people in need. You know how that that really gets facilitated. Look about the priorities that we said to mind. To honor others better than yourselves. Amen. When you esteem others... It allows you to be able to practice hospitality better. Here's an example, if you will, though, of, of bad hospitality. In Proverbs 23, 6 through 8, it says, Do not eat the food of a begrudging host. Do not crave his delicacies. For he is the kind of person who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up. The little you have eaten and will have wasted your compliments. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you this. That sounds like somebody had an experience. Who wrote that? It sounds like it got back to him that that somebody who was serving food was like, mm hmm. Yes. It's like Julius on 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 everybody hates Chris. That's four dollars and seventy eight cents worth of food that I. That's two dollars. You know, that's sixteen cents worth of milk. You. Just, if you're that kind of person, you you're not practicing hospitality, right? If you know exactly how much everything costs, but but listen to the what the the the, the writer says. You will vomit up what little you have eaten, and you will have wasted your compliments. The little you have eaten, why? Because he didn't serve you a whole lot, because he did not want you to eat a whole lot. And you wasted your compliments and said, you know, that was really good. He said, like, mm-hmm, it was. It was $4.62 worth of good, too. That's bad hospitality. That's not the right way to do it. In First Peter 4, it talks about having, practicing hospitality in what way? Without grumbling is what the, and grumbling, yes, that means you talking about what's happening underneath your your breath. Amen. And in, in, in verse eight of 
First Peter 4 says, above all, remember this, we've heard this before, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love each other deeply. And then verse 9, see how all of these in, in, in the Bible is, the, the Bible uh, emphasizes it in different places. But every time we start talking about love, there's some practices that, that get talked about too. As an example, it says, love each other deeply. The next verse says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So here's a practice you must make. You and I need to be practiced at what? Hospitality, because practice makes perfect. Amen. Luke 14 says this. Jesus says to the host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your, don't invite your friends or brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You don't just provide hospitality to folks in a strategic way because you're expecting if I invite you to my dinner party, you'll invite me to yours. That's not the right motivation. You and I need to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And here's a bonus in Hebrews 13 too. It says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. That always intrigued me as a, as, as a little guy. When I came across that, I was like, wow. Some have, as the King James said, entertained angels unaware. Maybe that, that extension that you make and that offer to help somebody or do something, you don't know what God is doing. You don't know if you're actually entertaining an angel unaware. So again, practicing hospitality, the right motivation, that, that would just be a, a bonus, but do it without grumbling. Don't do it because you want to get something back and definitely don't do it and do it in such a way where you're constantly counting the cost and being selfish about it. We have to share with God's people in need and esteem others better than ourselves. That word literally means pursue hospitality, pursue it. Practice, it's a practice you must must make. And then he flips to <clears throat> verses 14 through 16. And again, like I said, I love how all of this hangs, it all hangs together based upon the plea that he wants us to manifest that love be sincere. He says, now I need you to understand this. He says, listen, uh, in Romans 12, he says, bless those who persecute you. Not feeling that. You bless and do not curse. Not feeling that. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position do not be conceited those four verses 14 through 16 he's starting to blend and now he's talking about how we interact with people inside the body of christ and then outside the body of christ amen hopefully he 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 would not have to say inside the body of christ bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse but as a practical matter that may be directed inside the body of christ as well because we don't always get along as we should. But he says, listen, rejoice with those that rejoice. Mourn with those that mourn. Again, what he is saying here is here is a perspective. 
It's a perspective that you have to master. If you and I can master this kind of perspective, this kind of outlook, it will help us to love sincerely. And the perspective has everything to do with the inter, the intentionality, excuse me, of connection. We need to be intentional in terms of connecting with other people. The best way to connect with people is to not be prideful, not be conceited, but to be humble because humility aids in connection. You and I are trying to connect with other people. Amen. That's the whole point. That's why he says, listen, <clears throat> rejoice with those that rejoice. Mourn with those that what? Mourn. He says, bless those who persecute you and, and, and bless and do not cur- live in harmony with one another. Amen. We talked about that as the, the expression of love in, in first Peter chapter one, that, that we should be seeking, <laughs> excuse me, not only holiness, but harmony. Amen. That's what we're supposed to be striving for. Amen. We thrive through holiness. We, we drive from hope. We, we, uh, thrive through holiness and then we strive for harmony. Amen. So he says, listen, I need you to, to, to mourn with those that mourn, live in harmony, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be con- uh, conceited. Again, there has to be intentionality of connection. Amen. So the perspective has to be, I'm trying to connect. And what would be a great purpose? Let me give you a great purpose. Look at the apostle Paul in first Corinthians chapter Nine. He says this. I'm free. I belong to nobody. I made myself, but I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Intentional. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law. Again, I find a way to connect with them and I, and I, and I have this connection so as to win those under the law. And he, he summarizes it by saying, I, I become all things to all men so that by all means I might win what? Some. And I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in his blessings. He said, I'm trying to preach the gospel. I'm trying to share the gospel. And so I have to be intentional about my connection because lives are at stake. Amen. That's why in Second Timothy chapter two, and when it talks about uh, the, the how we interact with people, he says, "Remember, it's it's like so that they will lead to repentance and recovery, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by them at his will." He says, "Listen, you got to engage with people with the understanding that you're trying to get done a job, and that job is repentance and recovery for the people you're connecting with. That's why you don't curse those that." Uh, uh, that's why you bless those that don't bless you or curse you. And he says, bless and do not curse. Why? Because you're trying to be intentional around sharing the gospel. And the best way to share the gospel is to connect with people. The apostle Paul says, I become all things to all men that by all means I might win some. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself may not be disqualified. He said, I'm running a race. And everyone that goes into, into competes in the games goes into strict training. He says, I got a goal in mind. If you need a goal in mind to be able to connect with other people, the goal is the salvation of souls. Amen. 
the intentionality of connection has everything to do with the stakes of the gospel. And as we're going to see in just a minute, when you pivot to verses 17 through 21, part of the stakes of the gospel has to be the reputation of the people that are that are extolling the message. You'll see what I'm saying in just a second. So that's why he says you got to live in harmony with each other. He says, if they, like in Philippians 2, he says, if there's anything, uh, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Your mind should, mind should be just like that of who? Christ Jesus. And then you think about when it says, hey, I want you to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's reminiscent of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. When it says, you've heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. enemy, But I tell you, love your neighbor. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Because he causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He said, I want you to be like your father. Your father shows himself good to the, to the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. So if we want to be like him, be like God, he says, I need you to do the same thing. And it's really embodied nicely when you look at Stephen at the end of his life when they had stoned him. And he was, he was there at the, at the end and, and, um, he did not, um, excuse me, that I was stoning him. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And obviously Jesus said the same thing on the cross. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. The difference is Stephen fell asleep. Jesus gave up the ghost. No man take my life, but I lay it down. Amen. <laughs> He says, it's time to tell us die. It's finished. Hmm. Amen. And so, again, that's a perspective that we that we have to to master. There has to be some intentionality of concern. And then last but not least, he says this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Now he's really expanded his look in terms of love being sincere to how are we presenting our love to those that are in the broader community around us in our circles of influence. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a posture you must model. It's a posture. Again, a stand that you're taking. That you, that the apostle Paul is telling us we need to, you need to model this. You need to be about the business of this. And why do you need to be about, be about the business of this? It's because 
we are supposed to be making the gospel message attractive by how we live our lives. In the book of Titus in chapter 2, the apostle Paul gives several exhortations around things when he says be self-controlled and pure be busy at home be kind be subject he's talking about wives being subject to their husband so that no one will malign the word of god and he's talking about having soundness of speech that cannot be contemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us he says tell 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 the uh the, he says tell tell the folks that 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 are in a position in, in terms of being slaves to their master not to not to steal from them but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our savior attractive again we are the walking infomercials for the gospel Amen. And so he says, listen, I need you to, there's a posture that I need you to model. I need you to make the gospel message attractive by how you carry yourself. You can't carry it like everybody else carries it. That's why he says, leave room. He says, uh, vengeance is mine. I will repay. You can't carry it like everybody else carries it. And then people will see that there's a difference in how you do things and how everybody else does things. So that when you're David and you're not King David yet and you have this opportunity to kill Saul and then your and your boys are telling you all oh, the Lord and delivered Saul into your hands at the cave of Adullam and then later on in the camp and he said David says no it's not right for me to touch God's anointed that's that that's not what I'm about the business of doing I'm sure it confused them to the utmost he Saul's been trying to take his life been chasing him down all over the place and on two different occasions David had the opportunity to kill Saul and he said nope I'm not going to do it because it's not my he said he literally said I want to say it was in first Samuel 26 when he says as surely as the Lord lives the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die. Or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Not me. I'm not receiving that instruction from the Lord. The Lord in his time will deal with him as he sees fit. But it's not going to be by my hand. Again, there, there, that there's a righteousness that David displayed that had to be attractive to the people around him. Wow. This is the second time. And this cat is not going to take the shot. He's like, nah, I'm good. And true enough, Saul did die in battle. And it wasn't that long after that. And so again, we got to make the gospel message attractive. And guess what? Yes, you live in a glass house. Amen. And the enemy is constantly throwing rocks. So just carry it like that. Yep. It's like the, those that people live in a, a glass house shouldn't throw rocks. Right. We live in a glass house. People are always looking to you. Once you opened up your mouth and said that you were a follower of Jesus Christ, that you had any kind of seriousness about your walk with Christ, people are watching how you carry everything. Everything. And so the Apostle Paul says in Titus, you, you, you got to think about how you act and, and react to everything because we don't want to mess up the reputation of the body of Christ. 
That's, that's something that we have to do. And if we're going to have sincere love, that's the posture that you have to, to model that we're all in this together. And first Peter five, eight, nine, it says, you know, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary. The devil is like a roaring lion roaming about seeking whom he may devour, whom you resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brothers around the world. Amen. He's like, I need you to stand strong because you don't want to be the weak link. You don't want to be the one that goes out everybody's going through i need you to stand firm i need you to be steadfast i need you to be vigilant because you know everybody else is counting on you come on now everybody else is counting on who they're counting on you that's why even in romans 14 7 and 8 he says for none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. Because if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. That's how you have to carry it. So that means you got to make some different choices given your circumstances. And so no, you cannot curse out the woman at the grocery store for mistakenly overcharging you by sending things through the scanner. You can't do that. I know you may want to because this is the third time she's done that. And now you're feeling she's picking on you. She knows it's me. You can't come back and tell me, especially if you have on any of your new life Christian fellowship paraphernalia, that you have cussed out the cashier at Pete's Market. Not at Pete's. Don't do it at Pete's. Maybe at, at maybe at Mariano's, but not at Pete's. Maybe maybe at Myers. I'm not sure. But you can't do that because you always always have to be thinking. His name is on me. His name is on me. So the posture that I always have to model is I have to make the gospel attractive so that other people can see, you know what? She's done the same thing to me. I cussed her out last week, but you didn't cuss her out. It's like, no, I can't carry it that way because I'm kingdom. And maybe that'll make a difference in somebody's life. And he says, as far as it is, just Live as peaceably as you can with other people. Again, it can't be peace at at, at any cost because we can't compromise with sin. Amen. It's not about compromising with sin. We have to follow what God tells us to do. And we are to be peacemakers. Amen. That's what blessed are the peacemakers. Amen. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. So, again, we're supposed to be about the business of peace. We carry peace with us. We don't. It's not that peace at any cost. Do you remember what the peace at any cost? Do you know where that came from? Do you remember that at all? A student of history that comes from World War Two. That comes from the British prime minister. Uh, uh, Chamberlain, I believe his name was. That was his policy around uh, Hitler's Nazi Germany. Peace at any cost. It didn't work out well for them. As, as, as Hitler was moving and they called it the politics of appeasement. Again, it, 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 that literally, that, that, that mindset, that outlook 
dictated our foreign foreign policy after that West. We were dealing with the Soviets. It was like, no, it's not going to be peace at any cost because we saw what happened when you compromised and Hitler just took over all of all of Europe. So again, it's like, no, it's 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 not the peace of compromise. We stand strong, but we do it in such a way that we're always about the business of being intentional around connection because we want to be able to help people repent and recover. So if that's our outlook, again, that's our perspective that leads to the right posture, which is no, it's not peace at any cost, but we are going to be peacemakers because we don't want to have a bad testimony. and We want to allow God to handle our fight. So all of this, all the things that we said, all the things the apostle Paul has said, it's a, a plea that must be manifest it for sure there's a <laughs> priorities that we have to mind that, that path of service that we have to maintain that pattern that pattern that we have to match practices to make a perspective to master and a posture to model and if we do all of those things there will be a picture that comes into view that we must mirror You put that picture up and then you look at yourself in the mirror and you make a, some adjustments. You know how it is if you, if you bought an outfit and it's like you want to make sure hopefully that it looks similarly on that, the person that modeled it <laughs> at the place you got it. Or when you saw it on a mannequin or you saw it on a model, you want to make sure that it looks similar. You'd be like, wait a minute, that, that's not the same. That's, and then I'm looking here. This doesn't look like the same. But you can make adjustments. You tuck some things in, move some stuff around, do whatever you need to do. But, but you're doing it based upon the picture that you, that you wanted. You got a picture in your mind. This is how I'm supposed to look in this. And if you're not looking there, then you know there's some adjustments that you need to to, to make. And, and mm, I was going, mm. and just because it comes in your size does not mean it's for you. That's just that's just an aside. But if you got it, you see what the picture is. Let's make the adjustments. The apostle Paul says, change your pattern, change your priorities, change your practices around so that you can manifest a plea that love must be sincere. I need you to do that. I need you to do that more than anything else. And so he said, listen, get the picture. This is what love looks like. This is what real love looks like. I'm searching for a real love, someone to set my heart free. Real love. The Apostle Paul says, this is what real love looks like. This is the picture. Adjust your life, your attitude, your perspective, your actions, and everything so that you can make it right. Father, 